Hi, welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Today's episode is a very special episode. It is the first episode with a special guest. My very good friend, Graydon Dennison, is going to be helping me compare rock guitarists to Major League Baseball sluggers. This is actually one of the first topics that I thought to do when I decided to start this show back in the spring, and I figured now was the perfect time to finally record it, given that the World Series will be starting shortly. So, without further ado, here is my phone call with Graydon discussing the matter, and I also apologize for the drop-off in sound quality compared to what you are usually accustomed to here on the show. Enjoy. All right, so this is a special episode, first episode with a guest, my very good friend Graydon Dennison, resident uh, baseball expert. Welcome to the show, Graydon. Thanks, thanks, Zach. Thank you for having me. Um, We've been talking about doing this episode for a while. I'm glad that it's uh, coming into fruition. We have. This was actually one of the first topics I thought to do when I decided to start the show and uh, figured this would be the right time with the World Series about to begin. Yeah, the, the MLB playoffs have been uh, heating up the last couple of weeks. It's been a, it's been a weird season, right? Yeah. 60 modified season due to the coronavirus. But I have to say, like even with no fans in the stands and it's somewhat of a concocted product on the field, it's still fun to watch. Um, the Astros race series has been really interesting. And um, I have to admit, I am pulling for the Braves in the other series, but uh, I guess you never know what can happen. <laughs> yeah, I I am pulling for the Dodgers, but it's not looking promising. So, yeah, I mean the Dodgers have been knocking on the door for years. So in a way, it'd be kind of good to see them, you know, win one. But and the Braves are likable. They got a lot of young kids. Freddie Freeman's a good good bat. Uh, it's I, I I'm I'm satisfied with most of the teams that are still in the playoffs, and uh, I'm just interested to kind of see where it, where how it shakes out. And you're right, it is a a relevant topic because it can connect with uh, the theme of, of your of your show and it also can give all the sports fans those crossover sports music fans you know, something to kind of connect with precisely you know, all your right so the topic is comparing rock guitarists to mlb sluggers and right. have a couple more than 10 because we added a few at the last minute here uh, and we're going to go alphabetical by guitarist's last name. So our first comparison we have is Dwayne Allman and Roberto Clemente. Interesting one. I'll be honest. When um, you were talking with me earlier about kind of putting together a list, I, well, I love the work. I love Dwayne Allman. I was interested to see who you'd pair him with, and you went with Clemente. I, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to talk much about Roberto Clemente today, so I'll let you start with um, what drew you to this comparison. Uh, so part of it, and as you'll find, uh, listeners, as we go along here, it's not the same uh, sorts of similarities with all of them. In one case, it could be uh, playing style and how their swing looks. In other cases, it could be lifestyle sorts of things. So in the case of Allman and Clemente, they both passed away very young in motor accidents. Allman died at 24 in a motorcycle accident and Clemente at 38 in a plane crash. 
So they had that similarity and both are still considered among the best ever at a particular skill in Allman's case, uh, slide guitar playing and in Clemente's case, his arm strength, uh, one of the best mm-hmm. arms, uh, in league club member too. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can see those comparisons both with kind of like a tragic end, dying at their peak. Um, Clemente has a legacy that transcends baseball, and and that's and that's uh, something that I've always admired about him with his humanitarian work. You know that the league has the award that they give now in the league to I guess the player that has the most community work, most humanitarian causes in his mind, and I think that's something that's. Um, important for him is there that with Wayne Allman too I don't know did he involve himself with things beyond music like that would be a good thing to think about when when looking at at him and rounding him out funny you should say that I actually discovered a quote in my uh, research in the last hour or so where the reason that the Allman Brothers album after his death was titled Eat a Peach is some reporter had asked him uh, what he was doing about the revolution or to support the revolution. And he said, like, whenever I'm in Georgia, I eat a peach for the revolution as in like basically saying, you know, I'm just a player, man. I just want to play. Uh, yeah, so yeah. They're, they're actually not similar on that front, but <laughs> yeah, no, and it's good that you, you kind of gave the precursor to your, your listeners there that, um, not all these comparisons are not necessarily beyond character and personality and accomplishments necessarily. Some of it may be just beyond a short but exhilarating life, or some might be on a certain type of style, like or being known for one skill. And in some cases, it might be extraordinary, extraordinary riffs, like a really good power swing. So we are going to have different comparisons, but as we kind of flesh them out, you know, we're, we're probably going to play with some of these ideas just to kind of really think about are these really comparable you know, athletes and guitarists. And, and this is one that kind of struck me on that list. It's, I can see where you're going with it. And some others might fill the, might be actually, you could probably slate some other guitarists in with this Clemente comparison. Um, that's sometimes the unfortunate thing with rock music is sometimes <laughs> there's been quite a few excellent musicians that have died tragically young, um, yeah. but that have still been trailblazers. Um, I mean, you could talk about like a Kurt Cobain in ways yeah, he could fit. Who is more known for his songwriting? I will say that, um, and he was a he was a very good songwriter, and I think he's properly rated as one. But I think as a guitarist, he he was pretty important as a guitarist in that grunge rock era of the late '80s and early '90s for somebody who kind of changed the way that rock songs um, how they flowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some pretty good arpeggios. His solos, honestly, are underrated if you ask me. Uh, you know, he had like that nice left-handed guitar was a little bit iconic for, for his age. And obviously the whole grunge aesthetic of, you know, uh, best to word it, but, the, but that grunge aesthetic of being somebody who challenged the status quo and kind of just didn't care that he didn't fit in. And then that became popular. Um, again, I don't know how much of that can, can compare with someone like Clemente, but again, another guitarist who died, tragically died young, Mm-hmm. Still was a trailblazer because a lot of people took on after someone like Cobain and that playing style that he I, I don't want to say he fully pioneered it, but I think he really popularized it in the early 90s. He looked to a lot of alternative rock bands that came after that, uh, really took to his style, just like a lot of players, especially a lot of Latin American players, really took to Clemente as, as an mm-hmm. idol. 
in Cobain's case, I might actually uh, pair him up with uh, like a football player who's uh, committed suicide as a result of uh, after effects from concussions. Right. Hot topic too. Sort of a, a tragic figure in the more, you know, having some, some demons on the emotional side sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, that's good. And then, like I said, you could you could probably slate in a lot of different guitarists or musicians in this in this one instance. Um, that Cobain was just one that I was thinking would try to pair up, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard to ever imagine pairing up Kurt Cobain with an MLB player. I think that guy was the furthest thing from an athlete. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, it's it's uh, it's one that I think that could fit. That's an interesting way to start. I, I like where we're starting with it. And I mean, I was listening to some Almond Brothers the other day. And, I really like the way that uh, that Dwayne played. Mm-hmm. They're a great band to listen to while driving. They are. <laughs> or, or cutting the grass or anything. Cutting the grass, absolutely. Frying up some steak. There's a lot of things that you can... <laughs> anything good and southern and manly. <laughs> and outdoors, and outdoors. Yeah. 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 Okay, so yeah. Our, our second comparison, we have Jeff Beck and Jim Tomei. Right. Right. Do you mind if I uh, take, kind of take this one away? Oh, fire away. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, because sorry, you're probably hearing my dog laughing up water in the background. <laughs> He's a very bad drinker. Chetty's um, our third guest. So. Chetty's our third guest. Yes, yeah, my little bulldog pug. Um, but yeah, so we, when we were thinking of comping guitarists with MLB sluggers, a name that is often forgotten about in, in baseball handles is, is Jim Tomey's. Uh, you know, the guy has 612 home runs and he was incredibly solid for years and years on teams like the Chicago White Sox, um, Cleveland Indians, Cincinnati. He was on Cincinnati, wasn't he? Yeah. I, I don't believe so. He played in the NL. I should know this. I'm forgetting this. I thought he played them. Sorry. Yeah, for... I'll, pull, I'll pull it up while you're going, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> um, he, uh, so yeah, he had 612 home runs. He's somebody who's often kind of forgotten about. A little bit of a, I don't want to say a boring player, but, you know, his swing was, his, he, had a, he had a smooth, sturdy swing. Uh, he didn't have a lot of charisma to him personally. Obviously, those who know him as, a, as an analyst are going to probably challenge me on that. But as a player, he kind of stayed in the spotlight. Uh, he wasn't a five-tool player. Mostly, he was a DH or a first baseman for most of his career, but kind of slid under the radar in terms of fandom. But the guy could slug. And he was around for a long time. He was around for a long time. And when I was thinking of somebody to compare him to, I wanted to think of somebody who was consistently at the top of their game for a long time, or has been for a long time, yet is rather underappreciated. That's what led me to this comp. And we talked about that Jeff Beck could could be a good comparison, somebody who has been a world-renowned guitarist for, oh God, since the early 60s, right? Back in the in the Yardbirds days. Mm-hmm. And obviously with Bandy former action, but like, you often don't hear his name discussed in those kind of like roundtable debates about who the greatest guitarist is. Yet, you know, he belongs up there. Kind of like how Tome, who's like top 10 all-time in home runs, needs to somewhat be given his due when thought about amongst the, the ranks of great sluggers. So that's kind of what drew me to that. I'll let Zach kind of like dovetail off of that, but that's kind of where I was going with it. He, yeah. I think it fits. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, both were contemporaries of many of the best and most well-known, yet are relatively unknown to the more casual fans. I mean, Beck took over for Clapton in the Yardbirds, and then Page joined him for a while, and then uh, Beck left, and as you say, has had a a great solo career and a remarkably under-the-radar one for someone who is such a highly respected technician. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, as you say, Tome, easily uh, the least well-known member of the 600 Home Run Club, which is strange because he only retired, you know, in the past decade, 2012. Yeah. Well, I remember watching him play. He was a guy that was really tough to pitch to. Uh, He could hit off just about any pitcher. Um, And, yeah, I I did look it up. He he didn't play for the Reds. He played for the Phillies as well. He played for a number of other teams, but predominantly, as I was saying, the Indians and then the White Sox. I guess playing in the AL Central doesn't give you a lot of, of exposure, so to speak. But no, I, still think he's under, I think he's criminally underappreciated. Do you think Jeff Beck is the same in terms of how he's underappreciated? And funnily enough, uh, Tome won the Roberto Clemente Award in 2002. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I, I really like him as an analyst on um, MLB TV as well as I think he does some work with ESPN. But um, like he's he's a really good uh, technical analyst where like he breaks down plays from mm. the perspective of a hitter. Yeah, um, and you could tell that he really knows the game inside and out. Just like I, I imagine picking Jeff Beck's brain on how to how to play guitar. I, I imagine the guy's just a wealth of knowledge. But he is somebody that kind of keeps himself out of the limelight. And that was just kind of like how Jim Tomey was up until he kind of joined the TV game recently. And yeah. maybe we can see more public appearances with Jeff Beck. Definitely. Okay, rolling along. Our third comp here is Chuck Berry and Willie Mays. So, yeah, I mean, both of them were pioneers. Berry sort of created the mold of the the guitar hero archetype, and likewise, Mays sort of set the mold for the five tool outfielder yeah. archetype that is now highly sought after by uh, baseball executives. And as you say, both are known for their speed and also were dynamic performers who both had a signature sort of move or play. In Barry's instance, he had the duck walk and Maze with his over-the-shoulder catch in the 54 World Series, which uh, is now known just as the catch. Yeah, it's one of the most iconic defensive baseball plays in the, in the history of the sport. Uh, that guy made so many plays like that it almost seemed routine for him um i, I was thinking that this was a good comp when we were just brainstorming earlier really. like i think we both kind of clicked on this mm-hmm. um that you know they're, they're they're both they're both from yesteryear so they're older in the sense that maybe some of a lot of the new music fans and new baseball fans wouldn't know much about them i feel like you would have to know who they are or have heard their name to really be big in either circle like you can't, you can't be a serious baseball fan and not have ever heard of Willie Willie Mays. Yeah. Like I imagine you can't really be very passionate about guitar without at least having heard of Chuck Berry. But then sure. again, everyone's different. <laughs> and, but they are from a past era. Yet yeah. they still, you know, they still come through with with, with their contributions to the respective art was. Um, and as you said, they set the mold. I think Barry set the mold for, for faster guitar playing, catchy riffs, mm-hmm. um, and being more of a 
dynamic stage presence. I mean, there's a lot of other guitarists of his era that were like that. I mean, uh, well, I'm also thinking a little after him, but like think about like other guitarists from that era, the 50s, 40s, 50s, and early 60s, mm-hmm. that were dynamic like that, right? I think Chuck Berry really kind of takes the cake, but there's others that, that come to mind. Yeah, and he, uh, at that point, it was still up for grabs as far as what would become the preeminent instrument in rock and roll. Like it very easily could have gone the saxophone route, but he was really instrumental in uh, ensuring that the guitar became the uh, the instrument that's emblematic of the whole rock genre. Do you think that it's possible? This is just like a thought here do you think it's possible that Mies may have kind of kept the spotlight on the center field position in ways that it otherwise could have gone to a corner outfield spot or even a first baseman obviously pitchers are always going to get their due but I feel like I feel like center field um is and has been for a long time been considered one of the most definitely the most important outfield position one of the most important positions on the field yeah. obviously by nature being in the center of the outfield probably gets the most action out there you need to have speed you need to have a strong arm you need to be able to track balls typically it's a player that hits for a high amount of contact has some obviously speed on the base pass and is expected to have some power i think that willie may's archetype really kind of solidified that as what obviously executives look for in a center fielder but also what the game considers the center field position as needing to be absolutely and uh I think no one had hit for his kind of power as a center fielder before. I mean, Ruth was a corner outfielder. Yeah. A ton of corner outfielders with, with pop. Yeah. And there's been a lot of, there's been a ton of center out, sorry, center fielders with contact and speed as opposed to not having too much pop and defense. Yeah. Of course. I think Willie Mays may have kept some of that spotlight on the center field position and me and archetyped what the center, a great center fielder needed to be. And that was a five tool player, quite frankly. Yeah, when you when you conjure up the images of great center fielders that followed Willie Mays, they may not all be as good at, as he was at certain aspects, but they all have the same kind of tools. Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Trout, those are just two that come to the top of my head. But yeah, I look how many of them wore number twenty four, like he did. Right, and right, and not to not to digress, but it's or to change topics, but it's it's a similar case is made with those that are looking at Michael Jordan's impact on basketball players, right? Look how many players. Obviously, the positions in basketball are a little more murky, right? In baseball, it's not positionless. Yeah. I mean, shifts might be making it a little bit closer to that, but that center field position remained iconic because of, because of Mays in many respects, and then that kind of follows through with the number. Uh, whereas in basketball, I think like it's more just about the number and the way you play. It could be any position, but I digress. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to talk about, right? Because legacies, we're talking about legacies here too, right? And um, I think Chuck Berry's legacy is similar in many ways. Why he's a good comp. I think a lot of guitarists kind of wanted to emulate the energy he had on stage, mm-hmm. the speed with which he played. And popularizing catchy riffs. Yeah. Not even good. It's, I still think stands the test of time is a great riff. I mean, definitely some riffs can be really dated and it, it might be a little dated in its way. Cause obviously it's a song written many, many uh, generations ago, but I think that riff, like if it was written today in some studio would still be catchy to people nowadays. Oh, definitely. And plenty of people who have probably no idea who he is 
know or at least know of Johnny B. Good, and like they've probably heard it somewhere. They just didn't know who wrote it. Fair enough. Yeah. And elements of his more specific elements of his playing style beyond just catchy riffs and being a dynamic performer have permeated further generations. I mean, Keith Richards would be the best example of someone who's quite clearly inspired by him, but uh, Angus Young as well. And he even imitates a lot of his stage presence with the duck walk and all that. And even other guys like Paige would, you know, in certain live medleys and stuff, throw in plenty of his stuff. Yeah, I also think it's fair to say a guy like Prince uh, would absolutely take after Chuck Berry. Yeah. You're talking about a guy who's a dynamic performer, dancing while playing guitar, incorporating singing, dancing, playing guitar, riffs, soloing, all that stuff. I really think that really ties into a guy like Prince, who I know we just talked about somebody who is very underrated, and, and Jeff Beck, I think Prince is, is incredibly underrated as a guitarist. Obviously, he gets his due as a singer, songwriter, performer. Like, his performances are legendary, and they're known as such. I mean, just remember the 2008 Super Bowl halftime show in Miami when it was pouring rain. That guy just stole the show. It was better than the game. But, like, he as a guitarist was incredible. Like, incredible. And he got his he got res- mad respect for some other guys we were about to talk to on this list. Uh, or on this on this show not to hijack it and make it about prince but i feel like he's somebody we should probably be talking about and maybe he he's obviously somebody that took out after chuck berry um i don't know who to necessarily fit him in with as a on the slugger side but i think he's somebody we need to talk about in this hour no that's definitely fair and i'm glad you brought up singing actually because uh tying in with how Mays is known as such a great all-around player I I think it's pretty fair to say that Chuck would be one of if not the best uh, singers of the guitarists in our list here yeah I I I would concur with that off the top of my head I mean you obviously could hold a tune uh yeah I'm just again I'm looking at the list that we that we made I I would agree I mean some of these guys have no slaps though no, I mean, he's the one who was the most prominent in, like, being the lead singer role in his outfit. Of, of the ones that we of, of the ones we have, of the, of the ones we're talking about today. I mean, I feel like I just mentioned a guy who was better. Yeah, than no, no, for sure. But of the ones that we have uh, typed out. Oh, here, I see. Here, it does the, yeah. the outline one. I, I, I got you. No, no, he, he, he was great vocalist in his own right. Mm-hmm. And a and an excellent songwriter, and mm-hmm. uh, had a real knack for for rhymes. I'm sure he ghost wrote a lot for other people, Chuck. Probably. Like I imagine Willie Mays probably mentored so many center fielders behind the scenes. Well, I mean, and he's Barry Bonds' godfather. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How's it going? Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, we can uh, keep some of that momentum going. <laughs> So, Eric Clapton, we have paired with Hank Aaron. I like this one. Both have excellent technique, and they were, slash have been, in Clapton's case, remarkably consistent for a very long time. Uh, Aaron hit 40 home runs, just seems like just about every year for, you know, 22 years. Yeah, he never got 50, but that's really not that big a deal. Yeah, but still ended up with 755, which is now second all-time. And part of why we paired these two as well, because Clapton is uh, 
widely is often considered in the top three guitarists of all time and Hank being one of only three players with 700 home runs it seemed like a natural fit especially with how well the other two in each of those categories fit together I like this comparison when I saw it on the outline um, Hank Aaron is somebody who is often considered to be the greatest all-around offensive player the game's ever seen now that could be up for debate because there's a you know, it's one of the great things about baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, not some, not to kind of like leap off of that, but I mean, how many other sports can you really think of where the greatest player of, or greatest, yeah, I'll just say greatest player of all time debate is not, like it's, it's hard to have because like in basketball it comes down to a few names, just a couple. And in yeah. many people's cases, it's not even a debate. Right. In hockey, I don't think there's a debate. And no. I mean, in baseball, like can you, can you pinpoint it? No, it, it is a complex game that is individualistic in ways. Obviously there's that dynamic of the pitcher and catcher that kind of makes it difficult to compare across different positions. There's a lot of different eras there. I think the, the differences among eras are huge in baseball as well, mm-hmm. maybe even more so than basketball, but Aaron is considered to be the best, if not one of the top two or three offensive players of all time. I think it fits well just on that line logically with Clapton, who yeah. he's been at the top of his game for over 50 years and, I think he is, I mean, if not him, then I mean, I guess the other two are Hendricks and Page, right, that are Mm -hmm. considered in that class. Clapton has been in so many different bands, Mm -hmm. and his sound has changed throughout that. I mean, that might be the only thing where he's really different from Aaron in that sense, is that he had so many different, I guess you could say, projects going on in his career. Right. He had a different sound with each of them. Some could argue that he got better, Mm-hmm. When he went from Yardbirds to Cream to some of you know Derek Andalos, some of his more solo stuff, and then some of his uh, collaborative projects later on, um, I personally love his solo stuff. I really like his Cream stuff too. When I'm talking about just about pure riffs, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Sunshine stuff. of Your Love is one of the best riffs. Iconic, ever. Yeah. iconic. Another one of those riffs that stands the test of time. Sorry, my dog is gagging on the water again. <laughs> Right, so yeah, there's that. I think his riff work in Cream was, was his his best riff work of his career. But when he's talking about his soloing um, and his stage presence, I really like some of his later stuff with Eric and the Dominoes and as a solo artist. And I don't know if I don't know if I can say the same about Aaron. I mean, he was pretty pretty consistent throughout his career. Didn't move around to too many teams. No, I don't know if he was better. Um, you know, if he if his swing maybe changed when he got older and his, and his, some with some hitters their power actually increases with age and their parts slow down i don't know if he had that same kind of trajectory as clapton but where it really fits in is just like that appreciation of the greatness yeah he was uh i mean he was a pretty spindly guy so he had to have had phenomenal technique to to crank 755 homers being as slender as he was when you see highlights of him you think that's the guy who had the home round record for over 30 years, but long time. He, I don't even think like, obviously when he was, when he was playing baseball, I mean, there were so many other iconic athletes at the time, Will Chamberlain, Muhammad Ali, and and many others. I probably stole someone's the limelight because that was after the golden age of of baseball. Mm -hmm. Baseball kind of faded a little bit as like America's number one sport, maybe after the fifties. Right. You know, back then a baseball player was a, a huge celebrity. 
yeah. they still are in ways, but I think Aaron suffered from that a little bit mm-hmm. um, because he was for a while the best offensive player in the game. Uh, one of the be- he's the best run producer of all time. Like yeah. I don't know if there's another player in man- or manager who wanted the dish with the guy in scoring position in one or two outs. Like, I mean, the guy has like 2,300 RBI or something like that. Oh yeah, he's still first by a significant margin in our he is. he is i don't know who, who's gonna ever break it especially since a rod couldn't get there yeah well speaking of a rod as far as career arc as you know we considered comparing clapton to him because their career arcs have a lot of similarities with yeah clapton that, that, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off oh, no, it's what, clapton with his uh his early stuff with the Yardbirds and john mail's blues breakers comparing well to a rod's seattle years and then mm-hmm. a brief but very high peak with cream comparing well to a rod's three years in texas and then all of his solo stuff after that uh would line up with a rod's time with the yankees yeah a rod had some great years with the yankees um he went two mvps there didn't he I'm pretty sure he did yeah oh five and oh seven yeah and he had some big big home run rbi years big ops big ops years um instrumental to them winning the, the world series 2009 stained with some controversy not only with the steroids with the repeat offense with the steroids mm-hmm. but he became kind of the bane of every team's existence back then and he brought some of it on himself with the way he carried himself on the field mm-hmm. and that aspect i can't say he matches up too well with eric clapton who i don't think has really had too much negative scrut- or scrutiny in his life. Obviously, there was some way back in the day um, with some of the, I believe he was attached to some extramarital affairs, but... Yeah, actually, his, uh, his best friend, George Harrison, he uh, kind of stole his wife, Patty Boyd, away from him. But yeah. remark- they stayed good friends through it all, actually. They referred to themselves as husbands-in-law. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, there's never going to... Well, there have been some really, really good crisp comparisons. It's hard to find a real good clean-cut one. I like the Aaron Clapton one for some reason, in, in some ways, just appreciating their greatness. Um, and you, just come back, coming back to what I was saying about how Aaron may not have been appreciated as he should have been in his time because of mm-hmm. a lot of other great athletes making headway. Right. Clapton may have been in the same boat when it comes to guitarists at his, not his peak, because I don't know when his peak was, because honestly, I think he got really, really good later on. Yeah. But maybe when he was more popular with cream uh, there were a lot of other great guitarists at the time that may have mm-hmm. caught more of the, of the limelight such as hendrix page um david gilmore who i don't even know if we put down anywhere i think we, can talk we, about we didn't himself. actually I, I tried to think of who we could link him with and didn't come you know, up david gilmore very technically proficient very kind of like willing to push the boundaries great front man uh, an incredible soloist, but those guys may have had a little bit more cachet than they Clapton ever did at any one time. Yet Clapton is so good, and he's been so good for so long. Um, Blackie, his guitar, Blackie's, I think it sold for a couple million dollars at auction, not like, um, probably a good decade ago now. But like he made certain things iconic in ways. I just don't know. Like I don't know. Maybe he would have been even more appreciated for his greatness if he played just before his era that he that he was at his quote-unquote peak or after mm-hmm. same thing with Aaron like what if he had popped up in you know, the 50s yeah or the 40s or what if he had popped up in the 80s he probably would have been yeah you know more appreciated because talk about the, the 80s in baseball was a weird decade I think yeah. like 
Mike Schmidt and Robin Yount were like the top sluggers of that decade. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, they're fine players in their own right. I mean, having lived in Philly, you got to know Mike Schmidt. But like, <laughs> um, they're not exactly in the pantheon. <laughs> All right. So uh, our next one we have here is Jerry Garcia and Lou Gehrig. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, man. I know you're really interested with Jerry Garcia. Okay, so with this one, we have two guys who both showed up night in and night out. The Grateful Dead played over 2,300 concerts in a 30-year span from 1965 until Garcia's death in 1995. And he was on solo tours during most of the gaps between Dead tours. So the guy played like, probably close to 3,000 shows in a 30-year period. Just loved being on stage. Now, some of those solo tours I read were to uh, fund his uh, heroin issues, but that's a bit besides the point. Uh, and Gehrig's record of 2,130 consecutive games played stood for 56 years before Cal Ripken uh, broke it. Both were excellent at what they did but they didn't quite get the spotlight they could have uh, in Garcia's case because the dead were outside of the mainstream for much of their career and in Garrick's case because his own teammate, Babe Ruth, is almost certainly the most well-known baseball player even to this day. Uh, Both had their careers cut short due to illness-related deaths. Garcia of a heart attack at 53 when the dead were still touring regularly and uh, Gehrig of ALS, which is now colloquially known as Lou Gehrig's disease uh, at 37, and he had that forced him into an early retirement. And uh, both were known as kind, gentle spirits whose motives were pure, and pure rather, and they just genuinely loved what they did. Yeah, Jerry Garcia was a great guy from all accounts that I've heard. Um, yeah, I don't have. I, I I see where this where this comparison holds up. Um, I will admit I don't know everything about the Grateful Dead. I know that they have some good songs. Jerry Garcia is an icon. Um, I can see what you mean by you know life getting cut short, the careers getting cut short, but still had very good ones. I mean, Lou Gehrig. If you look at any of his numbers, he's still top ten in a lot of offensive categories, top twenty at least, and his place was higher for for many many decades. Mm-hmm. Even though he he did leave his career at his prime, would have been scary because I believe I don't have the stats in front of me. I am going off memory, but I, I I know a lot of baseball stats, and if I remember correctly, he has something like eighteen hundred and thirty, eighteen hundred and fifty RBI. I, th- I think it's actually like nineteen ninety five. Oh, you know, is it was it him? Okay, somebody does have that. It, it, yeah, I thought maybe that was Bonds, but. Um, uh, Bonds is really close to he's 19 something as well yeah it, it could be it could be Gehrig I know Bonds has like a one one like that where it's like basically sounds like a year at that point um but um yeah, Gehrig had a lot of RBI over 1800 maybe over 1900 and Aaron's number one with 2297 I believe yeah he would far and away be the all-time RBI leader yeah because he, he retired at like age 35 yeah if he had played an extra well I think expecting him to play at 38 39 is not out of the realm. I mean, the dude, obviously, 
you have to factor in the ALS. I can't say yeah. aside of the ALS, but the dude was, a, he was a machine. I mean, he played over in over 2,000 straight games. That held in, sorry, what? Oh, I just pulled it up. It's Aaron 2297, Ruth 2214, Pujols now has 2100. Yeah. A Rod 2086, Cap Anson 2075, Bonds is 1996, and Gehrig's 1995. So there you go. Okay, I knew, okay, they're right near each other. Yeah. I, knew, I knew Bonds had a weird one that sounded like a year as well. But like, he would by far be the all time leader in RBI if he had played a few more years, which is totally within the realm considering just how fit he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Cal Ripken Jr. took the record from it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and I think that one still stands. Right. Uh, and I don't, and that's another thing. In this modern game, when players are getting rest, load management is not just a basketball thing. Yeah. Um, when players are getting rest to improve their performance for the games that really, really count, um, and guys are getting more injuries, quite frankly, especially turf, mm-hmm. um, nobody's going to even touch that record. No. That Ripken now has that Garrett did have and probably would have continued to have if he yeah. had to stay healthy. That's just how good this guy was. That's how good Garrett was at producing runs. Um, and I know that Murderers Row lineup had a lot of other big bats in it, but I, I honestly think Garrett was probably the most valuable bat in that lineup. Well, and he he had a, a definitely a big enough chunk of seasons after Ruth had left the Yankees to prove that he wasn't just uh, piggybacking off of. Ruth's impact on the offense. Right. And RBI is a, it's a stat with mixed feelings. It, it is. I, I think it's very indicative of your ability to perform in the clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very indicative of your ability to, I guess, hit in different certain situations that require you to come up with a big hit. You're probably hitting a lot of, you know, doubles, triples and home runs. If you're driving a lot of runs, not necessarily, but usually, however, it does involve, your teammates in a way, because your teammates have to be in scoring position in order for you to drive them in unless, you know, you're just hitting solo home runs. <laughs> so um, some people look at it as a stat that should not just fall on the individual. However, when you're getting that many of them for that long, and obviously yeah. he played in a very good lineup. Where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He It, it does say something. Um, and I don't think the, I think the RBI titles are actually going down these days, which is, uh-huh. Unfortunate because it is a, it is a, it is a good stat even though some statisticians kind of bring it under fire. Um, now and he, I, like I said, I think he was most valuable bat in that lineup, and Jerry RC arguably is most valuable bat in his lineup <laughs> yeah. as as the kind of iconic leader of a of an iconic band. Um, I wanted to leave that comp with you just because you you know so much about Jerry Garcia, but that's kind of my two cents. Yeah. I uh, I don't think I have much to add. I mean, Garcia is obviously best known for his improvisational chops. Uh, I'm not sure if Gehrig necessarily best exemplifies that, but I'm sure he had plenty of instances of uh, good improvisation that uh, we don't Maybe have. That we don't have. Speech he gave at the end of his career was more ad libbed. Yeah. I mean, that's the the problem with guys who played almost a hundred years ago. So much of what they did is lost forever because the tape wasn't always rolling. Right? Exactly. All right, shall we get to the next one? Yeah. So George Harrison and Albert Pujols. Okay. Uh, you want to take the lead on this one? I know it was sure, a yeah, kind of your idea. 
sipping my beer here, pulling full wing bogs. I'm not going to drink that many beers, but you know, I figured I'd have to have one when we're talking about baseball. <laughs> Doing Harry Carey proud. <laughs> Cubs win. <laughs> All right, so this so we got Albert Pujols and George Harrison. Well, we were considering who to pair up with Pujols because you have to consider him in any conversation of the all-time great MLB sluggers. I mean, you just mentioned a stat. He's got 2,100 RBIs now. He's got well over 600 home runs. 662, so he's fifth place now. Oh, actually, he's past Mays. Yeah, he just passed Mays this year. Right, right. Um, and he's somebody who, I mean, for me, for us growing up, we knew it was the St. Louis Cardinal, um, an iconic franchise. He was the leader of that team, uh, won them, uh, led them, fronted them to two World Series rings, and they were competitive year in, year out. And then later on, he goes and signs a big contract with the Angels, a team that does not have the same luster, uh, does not have the same obviously success, even though he's still putting up pretty decent numbers. I think even only a few years ago, he had a hundred RBI. Yeah. He's playing with the best player in the game, um, which is an element we can think about when we're talking about Harrison. He played with some pretty good guys. Yeah. With his <laughs> time with the Wilburys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so he's in some super bands, some that may not have even labeled themselves as such. Um, so that comp holds up with Pujols, but he's somebody who had iconic years with, an, with a very good iconic team. And then left to kind of, you know, his next stint of his career. Maybe a little less iconic, although he still came out with some gems. It's kind of like with Harrison. After the Beatles folded, obviously, he had some, the, the group of the Wolverines who had some good hits. And he had a couple um, really good, really good solo albums as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His debut solo album, a Triple, All Things Must Pass, I would say is the best solo album by a Beatle. Good. I, he's in probably. Good best musician of all, of all of all of them, quite frankly, which is why he might hold up in this cup without approvals. It was probably the greatest right-handed hitter of all time, if not top two or three. I wow. mean, I, I've seen some interviews where people know where I call him that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's the best, he was the best hitter of a generation. After his Cardinals years, he was still productive, but it kind of lagged off. And somewhat similar to, to Harrison in the sense that obviously a you lot of his post-Beatles work doesn't touch what was done with the Beatles, even though People can have different opinions on it. Yeah. I mean, while my guitar gently weeps, it's a great tune. Well, um, yeah, but that that's on the White Album. Yeah, I think I think his he did a solo rendition of it. Uh, yeah, okay. I remember it being quite right. good afterwards. Right. Uh, and obviously, that's his that's his riff too. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it holds up in the sense that his post Beatles stuff somewhat lines up with maybe what Poole's experience, his experience with the angels. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're, we're being a little too harsh on uh, Harrison because <laughs> the angels are going anywhere, but um, you know, there, there's, there's reasons why these things line up and, and I'm sorry for my gaffe on that one song. Oh no, that's fine. Oh, you're good. Um, yeah. I mean, Poole's reached the world series three times and won twice. And also won three MVPs in only eleven seasons while he was in St. Louis. Yeah, and his his WAR is ridiculous. His on base percentage is ridiculous. His average he was in like three thirty. Yeah, as like a sophomore in the league in the MLB. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and Harrison uh, obviously had a similarly prolific run while with the Beatles. He did, and he. Made, I mean, the one obviously stark contrast that we can't ignore in this comparison 
is Pujols was the um, unquestioned leader, best player of an iconic team that right. won a couple World Series and was basically a given to win the NL Central every year or almost every year. Right. Whereas Harrison is often like the third thought of Beatle. Right. Even though he's arguably the best musician, if not right there with Paul, in my personal opinion, I think he, he and Paul are the best. Uh, yeah. I know, I, I think it's a ton of, he gets a ton of praise and a ton of deserved credit. I, I personally like the other two stuff just a little bit better. See, I personally prefer Lennon's stuff like from a songwriting perspective. But yes. yeah, if we're talking pure musicianship, I would yeah. say Paul's the best overall. But yeah, Har- but Harrison, as far as well, I was gonna say Harrison was the best on their main on whatever their main instrument was, but. Paul was a hell of a bassist, so and a hell of a vocalist too. Yeah, so, but anyhow, we digress. Uh, that's the one thing that makes that difficult. Yeah. Is there's a lot of reasons why that comparison has worked, and I like that we, we came to that because I think Harrison needs to be mentioned in this. Mm-hmm. That, ha- that is one stark thing that might be might be tough to get past. I actually have two other things that I I noticed some similarities with them. Uh, in both cases, their faith is very important to them. Uh, Harrison's Hindu faith permeates a lot of his songwriting and Pujols is a Christian and points up to the Lord whenever he crosses home plate after a home run. So there's that similarity. And also neither were as flashy playing style wise or personality wise as some of their contemporaries and others of similar ability were, but, uh, you know, don't let that fool you. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Our next one we have here, Jimi Hendrix and Babe Ruth. (laughs) Both widely regarded as the greatest of all time at what they did. And both are likely the most well-known in their respective fields. The second of our, uh, big three guitarist and 700 home run club member duos. Uh, Ruth, of course, third in home runs with 714. Both died relatively young. Hendrix at 27 and Ruth at 53. Uh, But in both cases, you could argue that we've reached a point where their legend has ballooned beyond reality a bit, resulting in them now being slightly overrated. Okay. okay. I mean, in Ruth's case, his stats are still among the most impressive. Oh, okay. I totally see what you're saying. Including the advanced metrics, but he played prior to racial integration, which exactly. is something you have to consider. Mm-hmm. You have to consider it because just look at how many um, black players, Latino players, um, Asian players that have improved the quality of Major League Baseball through their entry into it. I mean, a lot of the players that we're even making comps to today are, are, are black players. Yeah. And if you played before racial, racial integration, I do believe that is an asterisk on your name. Babe Ruth was still an incredible baseball player, an iconic global celebrity and ambassador for the game. But that is that is a mark that has to be mentioned there. Well, and obviously he has been surpassed in some major statistical categories. And I personally, I know, yes, he is sometimes considered to be the greatest still considered to be the greatest baseball player of all time. And I don't consider him to be, though. And I think a lot of a lot of other people that love the game feel the same. Mm-hmm. 
some of that has to do with playing before the racial integration. We're not, it's not purely because of that. But yeah, no, he, he sometimes does get a little overrated for sure, especially amongst well, older fans. And for the sake of consistency, we should mention Gehrig also played before integration. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of that when we were talking about that. That's true. Maybe as a guitarist, you could speak a little bit more to how Hendrix compares to Ruth and could also perhaps now be a bit overrated. Well, or maybe you totally disagree. I I, I do agree in a way. Don't get me wrong. Hendrix transformed the, the instrument in many respects. I mean, playing it, the the hand that he played it with. Um, Also, you mentioned earlier that Barry was probably the best or one of the best um, vocalists of the group right. we're talking about. I think Hendrix was actually a pretty darn good vocalist. Um, I, it's hard to actually recreate some of the stuff he was able to do. Obviously, his guitar playing overshadows it, but he needs to get his due for that. I agree, and it's funny because he actually didn't think very highly of his own voice. Apparently, he was always asking them like, oh, can you like add some effect to it and like trying to get them to hide it. But what uh, gave him the the confidence to give it a go was actually seeing Bob Dylan's popularity. And he thought, well, if this guy can make it as a singer, so can I. <laughs> that's true, that's true, yeah. I mean, he's, he's not a, a virtuoso on the microphone, yeah. but he, he, he does, he holds his own. Yeah, he and obviously he has some great riffs, great solos, great live act, live acts. I think sometimes dying as young as he did and at the peak of his career, which he, which is where he died, unfortunately, um, it produced a smaller catalog. Um, he doesn't have that longevity. Not that that means that much, but it does a little bit in the sense of that he has nowhere near the catalog that some of these other guitarists have, both in terms of number of bands um, and albums they produce, but also just in different styles being evolved over time. I mean, some of one of the reasons we kind of hailed Eric Clapton a few minutes back was that he did have that. Obviously, that's really of no fault to Hendrix, unfortunately, dying so young. Uh, but I do think sometimes people look at him through those kind of tinted glasses because he died so young. And not, you know, it, it, that happens across the board with other things too, when you look at politicians, when you look oh, at yeah. anybody. Um, and sometimes I think it, it needs to be considered that, man, there's probably a lot we didn't hear from him. I wish we did. Uh, he was a great guitarist, but I, I do sometimes think people could be just a little stubborn about insisting upon his place atop the, the list. And don't get me wrong, there are some times where being insistent upon a, somebody's greatness is fair. I just feel like in his case, it's special. It's it, People should be especially aware to not do that. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I have total, or maybe not total, I'm quite confident that he would have done some really far out and cool stuff in the 70s. And I imagine he probably would have got into some interesting, like acid jazz rock fusion sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can't give credit for stuff that was never recorded or conceived, of course. And yeah, both of these guys have this sort of mystical aura that surrounds them now and uh there there's a sense of cool that kind of goes along with their name and i think people sometimes want to tap into that and can be yeah i 
I could see that. I mean, Babe Ruth's name carried a lot of celebrity. I think that might be a little bit more so in the case of Hendrix. I think Hendrix really personifies cool, kind of hip, mm-hmm. uh, but a bit of counterculture too, whether he meant to, meant to or not. I think he did. But he never, um, I don't think Ruth necessarily embodies that, obviously, for, like, for obvious reasons. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they both have a lot of uh, clout attached to their name in terms of celebrity. And it, I, it's a good comparison. Uh, I don't have qualms about the comparison, but I and I do agree with the talking point you had about both being looked at a certain way, maybe a little overrated. Not that they're both not in the pantheon, which they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think we should definitively say Bieber is the greatest hitter of all time or Jimmy Hendrix is the greatest guitarist of all time. It, it is a conversation. Precisely. Now, moving right along to two of their main competitors, we have Jimmy Page and Barry Bonds paired up. Okay. So this is the third of our big three guitarists, 700 home run uh, duo. Bonds is the all-time leader, of course, 762. Uh, both have fairly two fairly distinct sections to their careers, with the second being when they really hit their stride and the one for which they're most well-known. Page's first section would be his prolific session days and his time with the Yardbirds. And his second, of course, would be Led Zeppelin, uh, a band that were everything to the 70s that the Beatles had been to the 60s, basically. Easily, yeah. And then Bonds' first section would be his seven seasons with the Pittsburgh Pirates, during which he won two MVPs and established, established a Hall of Fame trajectory. And his second section would be his 15 years with San Francisco Giants, during which time he won five additional MVPs. Uh, No one else has more than three and became the most feared hitter to ever step in the batter's box, I would say, during his peak. Uh, And then Page's post-Zeppelin career compares well with Bond's time as a hitting coach so far, which is... (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Page has done quite little since 1980 but uh he doesn't really need to no (laughs) it would be nice i I hear uh both had arguably the greatest peak of all time in their respective fields uh and i know you probably have not listened to nearly as many zeppelin bootlegs as i have but page in 1973 was uh out of this world uh even more so than the couple of years that preceded it and then Bonds with his 73 home runs in 2001, which are a record. And then after those peaks, both had their production somewhat hamstrung after that. They both had some injuries to deal with. Uh, Bonds missed almost all of 2005 with injury. Page sprained a finger at one point in 73, uh, broke a finger just before they went on tour in 75. And then in Page's case, he also had some substance issues and bonds faced an unprecedented number of intentional walks but both of them still capitalized when they did have a chance to shine in okay, we're gonna say bonds had substance issues too <laughs> well we'll get we'll, we'll come to that <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh, both still capitalized when they did have a chance page when he had an on night uh, where he was clear-headed and not injured and played close to, if not at a 1973 and prior level uh, in 75, 77, and 79. And in Bond's case, 
if and when he saw a pitch to hit. After 2001, he typically made the most of it. Uh, Both were more versatile than most of their contemporaries. Page, you could argue, is the best acoustic player of the traditionally top-ranked guitar heroes. And Bonds is the only player with 500 home runs and 500 stolen bases. Both have had a somewhat acrimonious relationship with the media. And both have had to deal with cheating accusations. In Page's case, allegations of Led Zeppelin plagiarizing old blues artists, some of which are substantiated. And in Bond's case, the steroid allegations, which he's never admitted to, but has generally been accepted as truth. Uh, But in both cases, even if even to the extent that the allegations are true, while it's not the best way to go about things, they did it better than anyone. I mean, Zeppelin took the blues somewhere where they hadn't gone before and Bonds juiced much more successfully than any of his contemporaries. Juiced much more successfully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I, I like the comp. I, 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 it, holds, it holds water. Um, Page, again, one of those top three pantheon guitarist of all time great live performer great riffs great transitions outstanding solos a creative mastermind if there if there was one mm-hmm. and you could you could argue that yeah bonds was that kind of mastermind at the plate um not only did were pitchers afraid of him the guy had a masterful eye there yeah. were probably many at bats where pitchers were obviously trying to pitch to their advantage just like any pitcher does but there were plenty of walks he took on his own accord. Yeah. Um, on his own account, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this this one holds up. Two, two great players who are arguably could have the title to being the best all-around performer player at their respective game. Uh, Bonds truly was the greatest hitter I think the game has seen. Again, not only in his ability to put the bat in the ball, to launch the ball, but also to... Uh, worth the count, get himself on base, which is, at essence, the point of the game. <laughs> yeah. Bonds would fit in super well in today's game. Um, I think he could hit against shifts pretty well. He would draw a ton of walks. He would put pressure on the other team. And I, I think I think he would be great in today's game. One thing, when you were um, regaling us with your with your list of, of comps between the two, and this has probably been your most comprehensive comp so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that struck me was how, like you were saying, okay, both had two stints of their career that were drastically apart from each other. And obviously Jimmy Page's case, I mean, the art parts are a great band, but Led Zeppelin is iconic and his work with Led Zeppelin is what built his career. Mm -hmm. Bonds obviously had great years with San Francisco. It's It's almost undeniable he was juicing the whole time, if not almost the whole time. That's one thing. Yes, his numbers did jump, but he was amazing on the Pittsburgh Pirates. That team was very good. That came, they came very close to really kind of breaking the seal open many times. That's mm-hmm. good. Jim Leland was their manager. I mean, Barry Bonds was their best player. He was a 40 and 40 guy. Um, you know, gold glove just about every year from from left field. I think his Pittsburgh Pirate years are way better than Jimmy Page's like Yardbird years. It's like it's it's hard. I, I understood what you were saying, and yes, obviously his his Giants years. Are, are notorious in ways good and bad i think the bad those bad parts of those giant years nah, it doesn't really stack up as a, as a comp in that one aspect 
his Pirates years did put him on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but I think he's going to be voted into the Hall of Fame based on them more because it's it's almost undeniable that he was to say most of those Giants years, especially the one the year that he broke the record and obviously went on to set the all-time home run record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was referring to that kind of to the single season record. Right. Um, I think a lot of the voters are going to lean more on his Pirates years where he was on arguably a Hall of Famer already, or at yeah. least at least by and when did he leave for the Giants in 95? 93 was his first year as ever. Did he win the MVP that year, or was that... Jeff he did, Taylor? yeah. Okay, okay. He won 90 and 92 in Pittsburgh, and then 93, 01, 02, 03, 04 in San Fran. Yeah, I knew he was in Pittsburgh still in 92, because they went pretty deep in the NL playoffs. Um, but yeah, you, even, even by the time he got to San Fran, he was probably going to be Hall of Famer already. So I think the writers are going to really lean on those years when they have to eventually let him in because they have to. Yeah. Just because there's a big stain on those San Fran years. So that's just the one thing I would kind of push back on in terms of um, making that claim for both of them that they had yeah. two drastically different stints. I see where you were going with that. but that, it, it works still. It's a good comp. It's a good comp. I mean, the Zeppelin years do have some stains, but it's more for stuff that didn't affect the music like you know shenanigans with the groupies after the show and stuff like that but yeah fair enough you know more than me about Led Zeppelin I love the band and I love this work I do know a lot of their songs but you would know more about that behind the scenes stuff so it's good that you feel about it good comp though good comp fun I think the listeners will like that (laughs) good little repartee there too I hope this thing's actually recording (laughs) we'll have to do it all again (laughs) let's hope so (laughs) Uh, okay Keith Richards and Manny Ramirez interesting both have become known more for their eccentric personalities than their abilities in a way which is unfortunate because both of them deserve a ton of respect in their fields Uh, Keith is a riff master on par with Paige, I would say, and and was quite a songwriter in his own right, paired with Jagger. Uh, and Manny Ramirez has 555 home runs and is first in career playoff homers and RBI. That's interesting. Yeah. He was a, he was a big time performer offensively. Defensively, he was a nightmare. That's <laughs> right. Which which could hold up because Keith uh, is a riff master, but. Uh, not the soloist that pretty well all of these other guys are. He did have some good solos in his day uh, earlier in their career. Yeah. Since his hands have turned to claws due to the arthritis, he's still he alive somehow. Yeah. He doesn't whip out too many uh, steal your face solos these days. I, I see what you mean. Like he, he may not be the most complete guitarist when you're looking at some of these others we're comparing him to or listing him with. We should say he's still a great guitarist. You're right. He is a riff master. Some of those riffs are iconic all-time riffs. Satisfying. Longevity, the um, perseverance. I mean, Ramirez, I think, had a lot of like locker room issues, both with Cleveland and with Boston. But yeah, he was a big-time offensive performer. Still couldn't believe they they put him in left field. But I mean, when you got big pocket in your team, the DH spot's probably locked up. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't stand him watching him play left field. But um, or, or it's a good con. And they're quirky base. guys. They're quirky guys, you know? Yeah. I... I feel like another interesting, just whenever we're just looking at quirk, right? Because I mean, yeah. especially with a hitter, right? Like you look at their stance as an indicator. Oh, yeah. Indicator <laughs> quirk. I'm thinking Gary Sheffield. Kevin, Kevin <laughs> an interesting one. 
Well, Kevin Euclid, see, I mean, slugger, right? I don't want yeah. to use that term too loosely. He was a good hitter. I think he was yeah. even made an all-star team or two. Uh, Euclid had a great eye to play. This play his best. And that tribute would be, man, that, 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 uh, <laughs> that he, he was uh, twerking before, before. Stands. Yeah, I know. He should be given credit for that. But no, I like the comp, but I think it's a fun one. Yeah, they're definitely quirky. I mean, when I was doing a tour of Fenway Park years ago, the tour guide said, was telling an anecdote of one time Manny ran into the Green Monster in the middle of the sixth inning to relieve himself in a bucket. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. I believe it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Keith's quirks are well-known, obviously. his uh, took a tumble out of a coconut tree in between legs of a tour back in 2006 and uh, has survived that among many other things that could have uh, derailed him. For sure. No, it's, it's a good comp in that way. Uh, I like this one. I like them all, but this one's kind of fun, right? Because it's just a little bit more about like the other the other side of them personally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got three more here. Try to uh, roll through kind of briefly. So we got Mick Taylor, who was the other guitarist in the Rolling Stones for what I would consider their peak years, uh, for those of you who aren't aware. And we have him compared with Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, Both of these guys were prodigies who made it big quite young. Uh, Taylor, I don't think, was 20 yet when he joined the Stones, and Griffey made his debut at 18 or 19, right? He was 19, but yeah, like yeah. really young as a kid, and, right? Yeah, and the, but the main thing that uh, drew my attention to these two as being similar is Griffey is known especially for how smooth his swing was, and Taylor is also known as a very smooth, melodic soloist, which was a great compliment to Keith Keith's riffing. And also both of them had their production somewhat cut short compared to what it could have been in Taylor's case because he left the stones after about five years and in Griffey's case, because he dealt with a lot of injuries once he got to Cincinnati. And then he got overweight too. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that never helps. Um, okay. This was one of those ones on the list that I was a little unsure of at first. Cause I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. Smoothest swing in the game, best left-handed swing I've ever seen. Um, long career, five the epitome, right up there with Willie Mays, but the epitome of a five-tool player. You can make the case that if those injuries and the weight issues, we'll just call it, didn't kind of slow him down, he probably would have the all-time home run record, potentially, and certainly would be a member of the 3008 club. I think it's a crime that he isn't. He isn't quite there uh, for those reasons. Mick, I see what you mean. I mean, you obviously know more about his his tenure with the um, with the Stones, if he's that smooth a player, like, I mean, you're, you're saying he's as smooth a guitarist as Griffey is as a swing. If you think so, I mean, that could work. I was also thinking Stevie Ray Vaughan as a smooth soloist, kind of just like smooth vibe with his, with his music could be an interesting one here. He's also considered a great guitarist, right? Yeah, that could definitely work as well. Uh, I'll send you some Taylor stuff to uh, uh, explain my point, but yeah. I no, I, I see, I see what you're saying. It's like that. It's, it's a, I know it's a steep it's a high praise, but I, <laughs> I, I feel similarly that he would uh, he would rank much higher in the pantheon had he uh, stayed in the stones this whole time and benefited from that sort of limelight. And he also lost 
some of the limelight while he was with them because Mick and Keith are always going to attract the lion's share of that. And they also kind of cheated him out of some songwriting credits, which uh, doesn't help either. But yeah, anyhow. Uh, well, it's a good one. It's a, it's a good one. I just think um, I think Stevie Ray Vaughan could also could also work in that case. But, yeah, yeah. I know, guess I think Griffey was somebody. Uh, sorry, my apologies. Um, Griffey was somebody who was just so smooth, epitomized five tools. Somebody who was the most iconic baseball player in the '90s, which was a tough decade for baseball, as we know, with the strike and everything. But I think he was kind of like that glue. Well, that was um, that was the that was the other thing I was going to say that uh, they both. Uh, sort of had their peak at a time when there were a lot of other really high ranking people taking a lot of spotlight. Taylor's time with the stones being 69 to 74 and Griffey, as you say, playing through Bonds's peak and uh, the two guys we're going to talk about next, actually. Perfect. Let's get to it. So we have Eddie Van Halen lined up with Mark McGuire uh, All right, I'll let you take. I'll let you run that one through. Both. I'll, uh, I'll step in. Both. Uh, great. Great technique. Uh, McGuire, n- known for uh, having incredible bat speed, and Van Halen, obviously, uh, known for playing very fast and all that. Um, both California kids. Van Halen obviously was born in the Netherlands, but. Uh, Grew up in Cali. Okay. And uh, both really hit the ground running. McGuire uh, set the rookie home run record. With, didn't he hit 49 or something as a rookie? I believe it was 48. Okay, right. 1987. And so you have that hot start, and then uh, Van Halen, I mean, Eruption is on their debut album, correct? So I think so. Yeah, but that was a, that's a great. So he also bur- song, yeah. burst onto the scene already at a peak. Yeah, I think I think I think EVH is a good one to bring up as somebody who may have brought guitar back into you know kind of made it sexy again, right? Because right. you could argue that for a while there, especially in the in the eighties with different types of pop rock and other types of music kind of taking over the same kind of rock guitar god had kind of died a little yeah and punk not completely had, but a little punk had been pushing back at that sort of uh yeah absolutely and i think and i think someone like eddie van halen sorry eddie van halen may have brought it back to the fore and he mm-hmm. actually um invig- reinvigorated or invigorated a new generation of music fans into uh soloing um heavy guitar playing really good technically proficient guitar playing and he also revolutionized some things he was ready to go there and try different things very highly highly energetic guitar player you mentioned eruption that's a great one i can see how that compares with mcguire to being somebody who in the especially in the 90s when he and sosa went on that run that kind of recaptured people's interest in baseball after the the strike had kind of taken things away and obviously the popularity of the nba wasn't helping the mlb mm-hmm. it kind of brought some people back to baseball in ways he's kind of like that where he kind of just by that that old muscle and brawn knocking balls out of the park kind of brought people back to what they used to love about baseball. Not that people only love home runs about baseball, but Hey, it helps, right? right. Check the long ball. Right. <laughs> um, so it works in that way. 
Um, yeah, I can see what you're saying there. I also think Slash could fit in here too as somebody who in the 80s kind of came along a little after Van Halen was was really big and brought being a, a, a lead guitarist back into its sexy form in rock music. A great soloist, really good riff artist, um, good performer when he's somewhat sober. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I shouldn't say that. Maybe just yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is. It, it, that that's, it's the truth, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe McGuire knows a thing or two about that too. I have a feeling he and Jose Canseco were having a little bit too much fun in the late '80s. They probably they probably played some games <laughs> in some interesting states. Um. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think those two could could work well with someone like Mark McGuire, who we have to talk about. I mean, he's not he's not in the top, you know, five or ten all time in home runs. I think he's close by. He had he had a great career, and he really did kind of bring a lot of interest back into baseball and bring a lot of the old school fans back to baseball in ways yeah. that I think Ben Halen and Slash, to a degree, did with some of those people interested in guitar. Yeah. He's uh, he's at five eighty three, I believe. So I think okay. I think he's like twelfth now. Frank yeah, he's ju- I think he's just outside the ten. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Those bows both work, I think, for those reasons. And Eddie Van Halen, unfortunately, recently died. So yeah, cool. yeah. Rest in peace, of course. Rest in peace. Uh, okay, so our last one we have here is Angus Young and Sammy Sosa. Now, my logic with this one is they're both quite undersized, but they okay. they made up for it with enthusiasm and being sort of larger-than-life performers. And both could also be seen as somewhat uh, one-trick ponies in the okay. sense that uh, there wasn't too much to Sosa's game besides the power hitting. And Angus uh, and ACDC in general have sort of stuck to their winning formula for the past 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He showed up big. He was a good, he was a great live performer Yeah, as a guitarist. Good riffs, good solos. Do you think he's underrated or overrated? Angus Young. I think he's overrated by, AC, by ACDC diehards, potentially yeah. underrated by some who I think people, I think yeah, I think people forget how that there actually is a decent amount of variety and clever songwriting in ACDC's catalog during the Bon Scott era. It's really yep. it's really once Brian took over that the lyrics went way downhill. I mean, I love Brian. He's obviously who the singer was when I saw them and like he's been a great addition for them, but Bon was definitely a superior lyricist and yeah so i think uh he, sort of they get the same uh sort of effect that the stones get in popular opinion where they've been around so long just doing big tours playing the greatest hits and kind of almost like a jukebox that people forget uh that they actually were good and innovative in their peak so and just I, like and just like ACDC, I feel like a lot of purists may look down on someone like Sammy Sosa, who obviously there's steroid implications, and he was huge in bringing a lot of fans back to baseball, just like Mark McGuire. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of the purists would um, refrain from including them in their list of great players because of steroid allegations, but also because, yeah, he wasn't a complete player. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. Okay, so that uh, that draws us to our conclusion here. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this. Thanks for coming on, and hopefully we can... Thanks for having me, man. I uh, appreciate the, the chance to contribute to the podcast, and I'd love to be on again sometime. Yeah, I'd love to have you. We can uh, do some other sports music crossover, maybe lead singers with uh, quarterbacks or NBA superstars or something. I'd love it. I'd love to talk about the NBA players. Yeah, that would be that would be outstanding in my wheelhouse too. So, um, as I know, I brought it up several times in today's discussion. But um, no, I had a lot of fun doing this, man. Thanks for putting this together, and uh, it's been it was fun to think about. It was fun to actually uh, execute. So, yeah, likewise, man. Uh, good luck with it, and uh, we'll we'll talk again soon, man. Okay, take care, buddy. All right, take care. All right, so that was Graydon Dennison and I comparing rock guitarists to MLB sluggers. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you feel inspired to take in the World Series as a result. And thank you, of course, for listening and for being a loyal listener if you've been around for a while. And welcome if you're new to the show. I hope you like what you hear. If you feel so inclined, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whichever streaming service you use that's most appreciated. Also, I am now selling Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper shirts. If you are unaware, you can reach out to me on Instagram at rocktalk.dr.cropper, on Facebook, Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper, or you can email me, rocktalk.dr.cropper at gmail.com, and I would be more than happy to facilitate you purchasing a shirt. They are going for $40 Canadian or two for 70. So let me know if you'd like one of those and I will see you next time. Class dismissed.